Hello, and welcome to the Old Soul Archaeology Podcast. My name is Michelle Janae. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Are you ready to dig deep? Hello, and welcome back to Old Soul Archaeology. This is Old Soul Sojourn, and today my guest is Dr. Sunil Raheja. Did I say that right? You said it very well. I'm very impressed. (laughs) Well, we did talk about it before, to be fair, but I wanted to make sure I got that right. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for sojourning with us today. And thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here and honored to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I just want to introduce you to our listening audience. Sunil, or Dr. Raheja, has worked as a psychiatrist for over 25 years, helping those stuck in complex psychological problems and circumstances. He now works as a psychiatrist and executive coach in private practice, where he helps bored and frustrated senior leaders who sense a disconnection between their outer and inner worlds, find deeper meaning and fulfillment in their personal and professional lives. He himself has in life struggled with depression and burnout and so personally knows what it is like to feel stuck. His unique Dancing with Wisdom coaching program unpacks this. Sunil has recently published his book, Dancing with Wisdom, a unique quest to restore meaning, purpose, and fun to your life and work. Actually, I think today is launch day as this podcast airs. Once again, congratulations uh, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's, it's an exciting time. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we like to talk about all things wisdom here. So one of the things about old soul archaeology is really digging deep into inner wisdom. So I'm really excited to unpack, if we can use that term again, what your experience is with your own inner wisdom and how you bring that to your coaching practice. So let's just get right to the obvious. What personally made you want to write a book on wisdom? If I were to give the answer in, in, in a few words about me personally, it's because I realize how often I've been foolish in my own life, how often I have lacked wisdom. Sometimes that's been through my own weakness, through my own negligence, sometimes through my own deliberate fault. And I mean, it goes back a long way because I came as an immigrant child from India uh, to the UK, to England, uh, many, many years ago, um, you know, just literally as, as a toddler. But I came into an environment where I didn't, my parents didn't know the culture very well. I didn't certainly didn't know the culture. And so I stumbled and you know, stumbled my way through that, making lots of faux pas and mistakes and really never feeling I fitted in. Um, and so looking for wisdom in terms of how do I fit into with, with people around me? How do I make sense of life? And what I realized is that never went away. That's, that's always been the case. And then realizing actually it's not just me, but you know, we live in a, in, a, in a world that's getting more and more challenging, complex, cynical, chaotic, and realizing actually that this is something that, that we all struggle with. Um, so that, that, that's in a sort of brief nutshell, that, that, that's what's got me fascinated. And I've sort of realized actually, it's always been there at the back of my mind and the word for it is actually wisdom. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna get into the word wisdom here in just a minute, but I do want to I want to go back to a conversation that you and I had previously, and that was about your being an immigrant in the UK as uh, a young boy with uh, Indian heritage. You had mentioned to me that you felt when you were in the the UK like India was your home, but when you went back to India like the UK, so almost like. Like you were walking between the two worlds. And I think wisdom is a great way to get into this when we talk about the, the earthly and the spiritual. But 
yes. you also mentioned that this is a universal story, which that isn't always portrayed in the media, right? That we we can we can start to look at certain groups and how they're they're refugees or they're displaced uh, or whatever, but it really is a universal story. Can you talk about how you came to that realization? Because I think that's really key. Um, yeah. probably in your story and what you bring to your coaching, that this isn't just for a particular uh, demographic of people, mm. but maybe a larger psychographic. Uh, yes, of no, sorts. it is fascinating. I suppose I should say as well, that um, thinking about coming as, a, as an immigrant child, which would have been in the, in the late 1960s, early 1970s, it was a very different world to what we have now in terms of the fact of the technology. Mm -hmm. So, you know... <laughs> If my parents wanted to make a phone call to India, that might cost a week's salary. You know, you would talk for a minute or mm -hmm. two minutes. That would be it. There was no internet connection. I mean, a completely different world. You were completely cut off from, from the country you came from. And I think we went to India every four years. And obviously that was in my formative years as well. So I think we went in 1973, 1977. But in between, apart from occasional letters, there was no communication with, uh, with, with, with my family or, uh, and those Indian roots, unless very occasionally somebody might come over. And so there's this huge gap. And what that creates, as it were, is a kind of sort of fantasy in your own mind about what it must be like to be in the other country. And again, it was clear to me that growing up in the UK, I was told you know, a very Indian name, I knew I didn't fit in. Most of my classmates were, were English or British. And it was very clear, you know, India is your home. So I began building up in my own mind, oh, India is my home. That's where, that's where I belong. That's where I'm from. And so I'm very different from the people who are around me. But then eventually when I got to India, I'd forgotten all my Hindi. I could hardly speak the language. And everybody told me that I was English. And so that really thought, well, I'm not English, I'm not Indian, I don't fit. And, you know, especially, you know, when you're growing up, this desire to fit in is just so deeply rooted. I mean, what I've been struck by, though, many years later, is that, it, as you were saying earlier on, Michelle, is that it's everybody's experience. Now, you could just say it's because my, I don't know, my ears are slightly different from somebody else's, or my nose is not quite the right way, or my, it, it, it could be anything. But, you know, the, the analogy I've heard is that, you know, you, you've got major surgery and minor surgery. And obviously major surgery would be, you know, heart, heart, heart bypass or, you know, getting, uh, getting, your, getting a liver transplant. That's major surgery. And a minor surgery might be maybe having a blood test or, you know, getting an ingrown toenail removed. The problem is that's all well and true objectively. But when it's your body, it's all major surgery because it's happening to you. So it's actually irrelevant, you know, how big the issue is, because it's you and your personal experience. It's all significant. It's how you interpret it. It's how you look at it, how you think about it. So I struggled for many years, never feeling I fitted in, feeling in a sense, feeling very, how can I put this, feeling very proud of my Indian roots and my Hindu background because I would look at Western society and culture and see the dysfunctional families, see all sorts of problems happening and feeling somehow morally superior and thinking I was better. Um, but 
but actually in many ways i think that was that was a negative that was that was that, that, that was a negative because it was just pride and arrogance really when i look back at that and then for me i went to university at the age of 18 19 and i sort of hit a brick wall in my life and in terms of the fact that i'd done very well academically up to that point and then i was struggling at medical school i didn't feel i connected with the predominantly English people around me at university, I didn't feel they understood me, and the, the Indian people I did come across were for me, were too westernized to me, I, I didn't fit in with them. And began to get more and more feel lonely, went through what looked like depression, which I could, would interpret as depression now, and then had a very profound spiritual awakening at that point. And it was one of the, it was through that spiritual awakening, um, and that, just to talk about that as well, is that I'd have these heavy periods of depression that would descend over me. And I would really find very hard to shake off. And then on a particular day, a thought came into my mind that if there's a God, he can lift that from, he can lift that from you. And it was, it was incredible. Something lifted, which convinced me of the power of God. And eventually I traced that back to an encounter with Christ. I, I mean, I've been going through different, different various churches. I, I knew nothing about Christianity. For me, it was all, whether it's Catholic or Protestant or Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, for me, it was all Christian as far as I was concerned. But there was something about the character of Christ and the fact that Jesus says, you know, is that God, Jesus looks on the inside, not on the outside. And it's about, in, it's about a transformation from the inside out. And that so deeply resonated with me that I thought, okay, I want to follow Christ. And then I began to read the Bible for myself. I'd never read it. I, knew, I came to it completely green, no ideas what, what the biblical scripture said. But there's a passage in Hebrews which talks about Abraham looking for a city and never finding it because it was a heavenly one. And then it says in that passage, and I think it's Hebrews 12, it says, those people who say such things are, uh, are not looking for an earthly home. They're looking for a spiritual one and God has prepared a home for them. And I thought, wow. I so much resonate with that. I so much identify with that, that this longing for a home, and cause, cause what, I, what I didn't mention is that when I would go to India as I got older, I never felt at home there. And this realization, actually, all these deep longing and desires I've got will never be satisfied in this life. You know, C.S. Lewis talks about this in terms of, he, he says, like, if, if, a duck, if a duck wants to swim, there's such a thing as water, is that there's such a thing as sexual desire and there's such a thing as sex. You know, there's there, there, there's a, such a thing as as hunger and there's food. And then he says, if there's a desire within me that nothing in this world can fulfill, it must mean I was made for another world. Mm. Oh, wow, that's that's quite something. Yeah, I hope yeah. that answers your question. That was a long answer. <laughs> it's a long answer, but I hope that was helpful. <laughs> but but it, it that in and of itself is so packed with wisdom. It is so beautiful because having grown up in in. Uh, Christianity. We were raised Catholic and I had tra traveled through Mormonism and then born again Christianity. And I've come actually to a more mystical. Um, I, I love that you referred me in a previous conversation to Richard Rohr, because I think that his, his approach is very refreshing to me when I still am shaking off a lot of the, the bonds of oh. a dogmatic um, Christianity that is, that isn't it's it's more external and physical and not the kingdom of heaven is within you which i think you're you're referring to to some degree and 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 i think that i think that morality is really within us and i think that when we tap into that and we're not doing something because somebody else says so 
yeah. then we're then we're more in tune with that. But I, I also part of the what hit me as you were telling that story is that you came to it green. You know, you started reading the Bible green, and I just think, wow, how refreshing that must be. Because I still, even even in my journaling the last few days, I I'm talking about this the veil that I'm trying to get through when, yes. when I hear um, God or Jesus or something that feels very constrictive to me and is, and I don't think was ever meant to be constrictive. And we can do that with anything. It's not about Christianity. It's not about Jesus. We can do it to Buddha. We can do it to Muhammad. We can do it to pretty much anything. We can, we can label. I mean, we, yeah. we see this make in our, Yes, yeah. make assumptions or or put things in boxes and also rely on external interpretations instead of the inner wisdom. So I believe you absolutely answered the question and I believe it was beautifully done. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about that wisdom because um, we've talked about, you know, that's part of my focus. I think that's what when we met at uh, the seminar, we were both a part of it's what attracted um, the invitation for for having you on the podcast, and and I love all of the different perspectives. So, how do you define wisdom? Wow, yeah. So I started by saying it's such a complex. Well, it's not complex, is the right word. It's if you think of a diamond, okay, a, a diamond is multifaceted and is beautiful, and you can look at the diamond through different angles and the things you look at, you, you get a different perspective. So. I'd start off by talking about wisdom as timeless truths that can connect the best version of who you are and who you long to be. Okay, that, that's, that's one, if you like, that's one facet of the diamond. Another facet of the diamond would be that sweet spot between a healthy skepticism and a gullible naivety, okay? So it's, it's something between childlike innocence about life. Yeah. But at the same time, being realistic uh, about all the mess that there is within us and outside us. So there's, there's that side. And ultimately, I would say wisdom is, see, I think we come to wisdom because we think about it in terms of, you know, I've got a problem I need solving. I can't, I don't know what to do. And it's particularly in, in our day and age, we know with, with technology, we have so much choices, we have so much data, we have so much information. So I want to get my problems fixed. Okay. Now. And I, <laughs> how? And I need no. some wisdom to get this fixed. You know? Yeah, right now. <laughs> right now. Because I only want to get on with my own agenda. Okay. Right. Then move on. But actually, wisdom won't allow you to do that. Because I think ultimately, at the center of the universe is a person. And that person is knowable. And my conclusion has been, through my research and reading and understanding, is that wisdom is Jesus Christ. And it's that living relationship with him that is both eternal and in some amazing, mysterious way available to me right now through the power of his Holy Spirit. So this, it, so that's, you know, that, that's the more you think about it, the, the, the more mind-boggling and, and glorious it is, um, because it's this connection between mystery and glory and the wonders of the universe. And in my humdrum life, you know, where I've got to 
you know, do the washing and I've got to put the rubbish out and I've got to, you know, <laughs> write emails and things like that. You know, that's, it's, it, it, it's, it's keeping that, you know, eternal perspective, you know, so I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a human being with a spiritual existence. I'm a spiritual being with a human existence. Mm -hmm. So there you are. That's another long answer to a very short question again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's what takes us deep, and that's that's the whole idea. Do we dare to dig deep into into these things that that sometimes are we think they're beyond understanding? And when we're when we want answers, I like to think of uh, the difference between wisdom and knowledge, or wisdom and data. Wisdom is really more about sitting with questions and allowing the questions to work on us, rather than having you know, the answer pop up and, and win a prize or, you know, be able to, the wisdom, wisdom has maybe an agenda that is, that is much higher than we think about in our physical existence, right? There, yeah, I believe there's, there's an agenda and it's greatest and highest good. Um, whereas we, we have this um, very limited view from the physical body oftentimes without understanding. Um, but I know there are two two things that come to my mind about your answer. And one is a quote, because I use imagination a lot. And the imagination, I think, is what connects us with the divine. It's like mm. if we can't even imagine something outside of ourselves, then there is no there there is no bridge. And and yet we've relegated imagination to fairy tales and things of of childhood. Yeah. But there's a a quote by oh, the author of Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I can't remember his name, and I just posted the quote on my old soul. Hmm? No. Oh, the book is Jonathan Livingston, but the author. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. It's yeah. Richard it on. is Richard Bach. Yes. Yes. Richard Bach. Um, he says imagination is an old soul, and I just love that. But then I was reading Neville Goddard too, and he's kind of a mystic, mystic Christian, mm -hmm. and there are people. I mean, it. it it's, he said, has some controversial things, especially for very, very um, literalist uh, Christians. But he, he's basically saying that Jesus Christ is your imagination. It, he is your connection to the divine. So it's, it's an interesting approach, right? And I don't have the answer. And I don't, it, this isn't about saying yes, he is or yes, he isn't. But like allowing ourselves the freedom to explore that, not in yeah. the sense of, Jesus Christ is my is my is my footstool or is my uh, way to to manifest. You know, I I don't believe in that at all. That we're that Jesus Christ is just a tool for us. But um, really, getting into this whole idea of the connection between imagination, wisdom, the divine, greater greater and higher good. And I think that's really what attracted me to. Um, and I have to be honest, I didn't finish your book. P reading on the pdf was a little bit difficult but no worries yeah so you've said that jesus christ for you is the embodiment of wisdom and your book is called dancing with wisdom taught let's talk about the dancing for a moment yes so if you think about dancing it 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 it, 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 it encapsulates so much there's a sort of there's something about joy there's something about freedom there's something about spontaneity and when you've got a dance partner, you have to, as it were, be very um, aware of what they're doing and the moves they're making. Mm. And you can find a way to, as it were, respond to their moves. And you can make something really beautiful with that. 
Now, in life, in a sense, we've already got a music that's playing. And a lot of that music is sort of cynicism, confusion, complexity, chaos, contradiction. You know, it was like that, you know, before we had COVID and it's even more so now. And really, rather than music, it produces a noise. And I think, and it's, and unfortunately, that creates, I would say, rising levels of mental illness, rising levels of discontent and frustration. You know, that's, that's what is doing. Wisdom, in a sense, I would say is, 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 is quite the opposite. Wisdom is, in a sense, it's finding a, me a meaning, a melodic line, a theme, a harmony through all that mess and saying, actually, there is someone who is in control. There is a, you know, you don't have to fight this world with all the terrible things going on. There is someone who is making sense of it. Mm. He is knowable. Mm. And you can, it's literally, you can begin to dance with it. Now there's a huge amount of mystery involved in this. There's a, there, there, but there's something glorious and wonderful. But also this is beyond your capacity to control or measure or know where it's going. That's why, you know, I've called it a sacred quest yeah. because on a, a quest is, 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 um, is a journey to achieve something that's difficult or, or, or is to search for something that's difficult to find or achieve something that, 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 that uh, to, to, to achieve, it's not, it's not easy to get to. And so, the, but, but it engages your whole being, all of who you are. And that's what makes it exciting and scary at the same time, because it's about giving up control. Because again, when you're dancing, you have to, you might want to go off and do, do something completely different, but you've got to be aware of what your partner is doing in yeah. that dance. Yeah. And I think the Trinity brings us into that divine dance, you know, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's, it's amazing because the living God is then becomes knowable as we engage with him but we've got to get past all that noise that's within us and that's outside of us and as you say you know with the imagination because we need a sanctified imagination that can deal with that because so often I, you know if i think about my depression for example a lot of that i think was my imagination catastrophizing going into negative looking at the worst possible outcomes and that and my mind was trained to do that yeah. by god's grace that's been unlearned over the years yeah. yeah, I couldn't have said that better. I love that that uh, that transition, right? It's like the the double-edged sword, right? Which, yeah. if we know how to wield it, we know how to use it. In fact, I'm um, getting ready to talk about the power of the what if. Right. And when we're catastrophizing, it's a what if, but we're already acting as if. So yeah. that what if if we're going towards the negative is one side of the sword and we're probably going to cut ourselves. But if we know how to wield it in a, in a healthy way, that what if can be very positive. We can live into our potential, which I believe is, is the goal of your coaching with, um, yeah. you said bored and frustrated, successful yeah. people. So really debunking this notion that success is all about the money and the status you're yeah. trying to add this wisdom piece so that they're not, so they don't feel empty inside with even surrounded by all the trappings of the material world. Exactly, because I think we've been fed this lie and we've allowed ourselves to believe it. That if I had, you know, if I had more money, if I had the right relationship, if I had, you know, you fill in the gaps, dot, 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 you know, whatever, something external 
then I would be, you know, then I would have it made. But, you know, you think about it, you know, the fact, you know, if, if you could tell our grandparents or great grandparents what we can do now with technology, if you could say, you know, Michelle, I can talk to you on the other side of the world. I can see you. We can have a conversation. We can record it. That can be beamed to loads of people around the world. And it doesn't even cost any, you know, apart from the Wi-Fi connection, it costs hardly, it's practically free. You know, and the things we can do and the things, places we can go, they'd say, you're living in paradise. They, they, they would, you know, you know, if I could do, you know, that'd, that'd be amazing, you know, that, you know, you know, a hundred years ago, if, if, um, if you wanted to travel somewhere, you know, letters would take months to arrive. You'd hear right. nothing for, for months mm -hmm. and months. Oh, but they were cherished. Oh, were they cherished? <laughs> Well, I think, I think that's one of the other big lies, isn't it? There's this thing about the good old days. In the old days, it was better. And I become more convinced that there, there never were any good old days. There were just another set of problems. Every yeah. generation, you know, it's, it's, that, it's that, that famous Charles Dickens thing. You know, it's, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Yes. And where are you going to focus your attention? Mm -hmm. if, you want, if you want to look for the arguments why it's the worst of times, you'll be right. If yes. you want to look for the arguments why it's the best of times, you'll be right as well. Now, where are you going to focus? Use your imagination again, I suppose, going back to your earlier comment. Yeah. Yes, yes. I was going to go back to the noise you were talking about and the being stuck in that. Are you familiar with the root word of cacophony? You know the word cacophony, yes? I don't know the cacophony. I don't know the root word. No, the root is actually K-A-K-A, caca, and it means defecation. So it is literally the noise. <laughs> <laughs> it is literally the, the noise, noise of, of, you know, wallowing in the muck and the mire. And to... Wow. To bring ourselves back to the melody, I think that you're talking about with dancing with wisdom, is to yeah. lift ourselves out of the muck and the mire. And that to me is, I mean, is that not transcendental in and of itself? Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I think I think that that because there is so much negativity around us. You can talk about climate change. You can talk about the way you know wars and the way people are treating each other and the politics, and that's all cacophony, as it, as it were. Yes. But is there actually is there a song of the universe that we need to reconnect mm -hmm. with and learn to dance to? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So let's talk about your four Ds and they aren't dancing, although the, the four Ds make up the dancing. You, your book is structured around the four Ds of discovering, desiring, developing and deepening in wisdom. Tell me a little bit about that structure and how you happened upon that. Yeah, so if we start with the discovering, I think, <laughs> So often we've been chasing the wrong things, you know, we've, we've been looking, the first step I think is, is, is discovering actually what I need is wisdom. It's not, you know, what I think will bring me happiness, you know. I mean, again, it, the, I'm not saying they're not important, they are vitally important, you know, if you're, you know, if, if, if you haven't got a job and, and you can't make ends meet, yes, you need finance, but you know, but all the studies show you reach a certain level of material wealth and more money does not bring more happiness, okay. Mm. Um, but and, you know, people joke and they say things like, you know, I know money doesn't buy happiness, but I'm, you know, I'm sure, you know, but if I had a million dollars, I'm sure I'd, I'd disprove them. You know, people make comments like that. <laughs> yeah, or tell that to the to the man on the street, right? Tell that to the homeless exactly, person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and so, and all the effort and research is, is, is and, and energy go, you know, it's, it's a bit like that joke about there's, there's a guy who's, um, that, there's a drunk who's, who's underneath a lamppost and somebody comes up to him and he sees he's searching. He says, what, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for my keys. He said, oh, you know the joke, you know, I'm looking for, for other people who don't know. He says, I'm looking for my car keys. And he says, oh, I'll help you. So he helps him about five minutes. He says, we're not finding it. Where was the last place you saw your car keys? He says, oh, well, the last place I saw them was in that bush um, over there, but he, where it's all dark. 
But he says, well, why are we looking under the lamppost? He says, because there's more light over here. That's right. <laughs> and there's something about that is that we focus on all those things that we think will bring us happiness because engaging with God and the divine, yes, it is mysterious, but it, it involves a part of me having to give up my control. And so I would rather go where everybody else is looking. So that need to discover. Once I discover that, now I've got to desire it, because I think this is the other fascinating thing about wisdom, is that wisdom doesn't come to the most fortunate or the most intelligent. It comes to those who are most determined to find it. So I've got to begin using imagination again, begin to think, actually, my life is much more than just what I see in front of me. You know, we're talking earlier on that I have all these desires and longings that this world can't fulfill. I need to desire, I need to have, I need to make sure that my desires are for the right thing. So desiring wisdom, so discovering, desiring. And then, and I talk in the book about that, you know, we need wisdom for our heart, we need wisdom for our minds, and we need wisdom for our lives. So wisdom, wisdom that can really take my whole being, you know, my emotions and energy, but also intellectually satisfy me and then make sense of the world around me. And then to develop it and developing wisdom is, is, talks about managing your ego and my desire to control my desire to not think too much of myself but also at the same time not to think too little of myself as well there's that healthy balance in between um and then removing my idols and idols in terms of things that i make too important um and you know we see that again you know, you know money sex and power the classic ones but they can also be good things you know i I've got a book coming out and somebody challenged me and she was quite right to say, you just to make sure the book doesn't become an idol. It doesn't become too important to you because wisdom is far bigger than my book. You know, this is only my scratching on the surface of it. It's, it's a tool, but even good things like family or um, being, being liked and appreciated, they can become too important. And so how do I recognize when I'm allowing them to be too dominant in my life? Because then I become very needy. I, I begin to start feeling insecure and defensive. And so managing my ego, um, removing my idols, and then challenging my assumptions, those limiting beliefs that hold me back and that stop me reaching my full potential. So that's discovering, uh, desiring, developing, and then deepening in wisdom. And there we talk about defining wisdom with the divine, the ultimate creator God. Again, not, you know, as you're talking on, not, not a boxed in God that's very constrictive and, and is there to try and, um, what's the word, um, be a killjoy, who doesn't want me to be happy. No, the God who loves me eternally and has good things for me and longs for me to, to be in relationship with him. So defining it with him, what wisdom is. And, and then, but that, that's going to, in, in a sense, involve my whole being. There's a lovely Hebrew word, which is shalom, which means complete well-being. And I just, and I, there's a, somebody called Andrew Parnham, who's, who's got, this lovely definition which, which really resonates with me which is wholeness for the whole person for the whole of life extending to the whole of the cosmos can you imagine that wholeness for the whole person for the whole of life extending to the whole cosmos i mean that's worth getting excited excited about and then yeah and then deepening in that wisdom that's if you like that's that's a summary of the book <laughs> you don't need to read it now you've got the whole thing <laughs> uh, oh i'm sure there are many nuggets in there that, that are worth pulling out um, you did, you did say that the, there's some significance on your book being released today, March 17th. What is that significance? 
Yeah, so it basically dates back to 17th March 2014. And um, I had a very good friend, uh, Bunty Abhishek Banerjee. He was like a sort of younger brother to me. He came to the UK, uh, I still can't remember the exact date now, but whenever it was, you know, in, in the early 2000s sometime. And he became a part of our church and he had a spiritual awakening himself. And I had the privilege of baptizing him. And he then later on got married and went to India. And I happened to be in India in the last week of his life, not that obviously either of us knew it. And um, 17th of March was actually the day that he tragically died. I, I spoke to him that morning, uh, and then I got a phone call from his wife that night. You know, a kind of phone call that you never, you know, that you just never want to hear. You know, she basically said to me, her first words were to me, if somebody's heart's not beating for three hours, can they still be alive? And then through the rambling, I'd worked out that, that, she, that, 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 that he died. And that really, I mean, as, as anything does, that's, that knocked me for six. But, you know, the whole circumstances around that, that I should have chosen to go to India in the last week of his life. You know, we had a very deep conversation. He died on, on, on the Monday or on, on the Saturday night. He'd said to me, when you get to London, I want you to ring me, and which was a very weird thing to say. And I said, well, that's going to be really late for you, but OK, I'll ring you. And then I spoke to him on a Monday and. He'd, he'd, he'd given a gift to one of my daughters of an SLR camera because I just had it in conversation, was telling her, um, him and he, she was interested in photography. And he suddenly said, spontaneously, said, I wanted to have this camera, which was quite, you know, I was a bit embarrassed by it. But anyway, that was fine. And, and you know, she spoke to him that morning and then she put the phone down and I rang him back and said, thanks for everything, keep in touch. And you get, you get a phone call like that. And then I was so not particular. I basically got on a flight the very next day and flew all the way back. I flew all the way to Calcutta for his funeral to get to that. But, you know, it, it makes you question, what am I living for? Where am I going? What am I doing that has any significance or meaning? And goodness me, how fragile life is. I need to make the most of every day. Um, and what is life all about? Um, and in many ways, you know, um, th th there's, and I say this in the, in, in the dedication, I, qu I quote uh, John chapter 12, verse 24, where Jesus says, very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls on the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And I say, dear reader, my prayer is that this book will help germinate a seed of supernatural transformation and change within your life, surpassing all expectations. Because Bunty had such a profound impact as a friend, it would be, it would be good to know and begin to make sense of his tragic loss as this single seed produces many seeds. Um, and so it was seen very fitting in a way in, in, in a tribute to, to Bunty and our friendship that at the seven years of his death, that um, this book would be released and would bring life and hope and light uh, to many people where there is, you know, so much darkness and discouragement and disappointment and even death. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that too, when we can really open our eyes and acknowledge those things, then then our life can be fuller. I think we ignore death too far too much in in Western culture and. Um, and COVID yeah. has obviously brought that to mind in, in, in ways that, you know, yeah. none of us could have imagined at all, really. Yeah. yeah. So really the question is, are we going to dance? Mm. Yes. Yeah. With, with life in, in all its mystery and complexity. But, yeah. um, but there are, I think, you know, I hope, you know, Dancing with Wisdom is showing that there are, that there are answers for our restless hearts, questioning minds and disordered lives. Because that's what we have. Restless hearts, questioning minds, disordered lives but there is someone who can bring harmony and wholeness to that. Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. Doing the, doing the inner work. Well, we are, we are running yeah. out of time. So yeah. 
before I get emotional with your beautiful words, there are restless hearts. I could so identify with that. I want to let our listeners know where they can find you. They can find you at drsunil.com. That's doctor abbreviated D-R-S-U-N-I-L.com. For more information about the book launch, you can go to drsunil.com forward slash launch on Facebook, Dr. Sunil Raheja. And on Instagram, Sunil K. Raheja. And pretty much just like it sounds, R-A-H-E-J-A. So did I miss anything as far as where to find you before I ask you the final question? Yeah, so that's right. So yeah, so drsunil.com, you can get the introduction to the book. You can download that. And I think on that site as well, you'll also get a link to the, it's on Amazon, basically. It'll be on Amazon, Dancing with Wisdom. If you search for Dancing with Wisdom, Sunil Raheja, you'll find it. Yeah. Beautiful. So I suppose that the last question that we can talk about here as we close is what will wisdom give me? What will wisdom give me? I suppose I'd turn that around is that what will it not give you Mm. that is wholesome, good, lovely, beautiful? What will it not give you? I think it'll give you everything your heart desires and more. I mean, Paul says in Ephesians, he says, that God who can do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. Um, and I think ultimately we were created for a relationship with the living God. Uh, and I've very much come to the conclusion that's through a relationship through Christ. Because in Christ, I know I'm completely loved. In a sense, God says to me in Christ that there's something wrong with you that is so flawed and broken that I had to send Jesus on the cross to die for you. But as a result, but you are so loved, okay, that through that, through that sacrifice, there is, I can accept and love you unconditionally. So there's nothing that can take you out, out, out of my hands. And that brings enormous security. So I, I don't live now for approval, but I live from approval. Mm-hmm. I know that that nothing can snatch me from his hand. And I know that ultimately, whatever life has for me, because there's, there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot that I can't, you know, fathom or make sense of. But yeah. I, I know the one whose hand I can hold. And his presence with me is available to me in the here and now, in all this mystery and glory. I think, you know, yeah, sorry, I, I know we're getting out of time, but the way I've heard it put, which, which has been resonating with me recently, is that, if God is infinite, okay, infinity plus nothing, okay, is no more than infinity plus everything. So he who has God and nothing has no more than he who has, has no less than he, who ha- he or she who has God and everything. That's, I think, you know, if you answer your question, what, what, what will wisdom give me? Yeah, wow, there's some, give you some goodness and love, yeah. Yeah, words to contemplate on. And I really have to say, um, and we, we talked about this a little bit before when we when we talked some of my challenges with um, religion and dogma yeah. and doctrine. And I love your approach to a, a loving God, because yeah. so many are so many preach a fear where you at any given moment, you're looking over your shoulder, or you can do this and you can do that. And even, even I have some, some beautiful friends that are like, well, what about this? And I was pointed back to this Old Testament verse. I said, well, if you're, if you're here now and you believe that, um, that the 
they, I think they had talked about, well, what about these laws? And I said, well, the, the final two laws were to love God and to love yeah. your neighbor right. as yourself. Yeah. So yeah. Right. if that has replaced everything else, why do we keep going back? But I don't want to get into that now. I just want to say, I love your take. I so appreciate you being on the podcast and my podcast isn't exclusively Christian. So I really appreciate you sharing your views um, because they, there is wisdom there and it's beautiful. And I would encourage anyone interested in Dr. Sunil's work. I would encourage you to reach out to him if you are feeling bored and frustrated for all of your out, <laughs> outwardly successes. Um, check into the Dancing with Wisdom coaching program. Um, Again, thank you. So, so honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a privilege to be here. We appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. This has been Old Soul Sojourn with Dr. Sunil Raheja. My name is Michelle Janae with Old Soul Archaeology. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, dig deep. <laughs> <laughs>